Welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I'm joined on this celebratory day by my <laughs> co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Jackie Mitchell. We are absolutely on one today in the you 514 are. Church Production Studios yeah. because today is yet another milestone, episode 40. We're going to talk about the number 40 today. We've already talked about the number 40. Very, very important number in Big the Bible. Number, yeah. Uh, and so shout out to Jackie for having to me. been on 40 episodes of a podcast. Oh, thank you. Shout out to me. Shout out to you, I guess. Is, shout what, out is that what to, you wanted me to say back? Shout out to you. Yeah, and you very reluctantly said it. Shout I out guess. to producer Jerry, who is not with us today, because apparently he doesn't care about <laughs> uh, episode 40. Couldn't He's be bothered to, to join us on this momentous occasion. Uh, but, you know, can't kill my vibes today. <laughs> episode 40, story, symbol, spirit, t-shirt. Uh, bumper sticker on my car. I'm getting custom getting coffee mugs st- made and tumblers made. And Jackie is probably eating caviar and drinking champagne I'm getting again. my car wrapped, like a whole wrap oh, I that like says that. story symbol spirit. Yeah, you might be too young for, for the show Pimp My Ride. I know with, what it is. With though. Exhibit, the rapper. But but yeah, we could do a story symbol spirit. I, you know, a giveaway. Kinda, someone gets to pimp their ride. Yeah, story now, symbol spirit style. I don't remember if I've ever mentioned this or not. So just hang with me. Okay. But when we got to 20 episodes, it made us elite. Oh, yeah. You've mentioned this. Have I said that before? Yeah, a couple times. So what does 40 episodes make us? Uh, I don't even know. Elite, like times two. Has anyone ever done more than 40 episodes of a podcast before? Are we the first? <laughs> we might be the first. This is unbelievable. Dude, we're the first people ever to do 40 episodes of a podcast. Story Symbol Spirit is just absolutely taking over the world. We appreciate couldn't do this without our listeners. And so, okay, that was a long intro. I don't even remember what we're doing. What are we talking about today? We're getting into uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Oh, okay. So I yeah. guess I should stop stop gloating and we should read some Bible. We should talk about the Bible. All right, fine. Uh, last week we did verses 1 through 18, correct? Yes. We ended with the death of Abraham, the genealogy of Ishmael. Yeah. And then today we finally get into the life of Isaac a little bit. So we don't see a lot from Isaac much less than we're going to than we saw from Abraham and much less than we're going to see from his son Jacob. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do get a little taste here and in the next chapter. And so today Isaac has a child. He actually has two children. Yeah. Twins. Twins. Right? And the story of God's redemption through Abraham continues to move forward through the generations. And so uh, uh, now now the story of Jacob is near and dear to your heart, Jackie. Yeah. Right? Why? Jacob is like the my name is like the derivative Jacqueline is yeah. like the the female derivative of Jacob. Yeah, it's like the it's like the French feminized yeah, version of of, yeah. of Jacob. The Hebrew is Yaakov. Which is not why my parents named me that as we'll see Jacob's name means. Well, what have you been led to believe that his name means? The deceiver. The deceiver. So yeah. we'll get to that today, but I think you might be relieved. Okay. All right. And so this is a very important episode for you today on our 40th episode. I saved this and and kind of mapped this out just for you so Thank that you. we can this. help bring some- My namesake. So we can bring some clarity to what your name means on Perfect. our 40th Perfect. celebratory episode. And so uh, before we get into it, please subscribe, give the podcast a review, share it with a friend, and let's get started. Yeah. Genesis 25, 19 through 21, 19 you want through to start? 21, yeah. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. 
the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. All right, so here we go, right? Mm-hmm. He, we're reminded that Isaac is the son of Abraham, which we knew. Yeah, <laughs> I love that they told us that, that just in case we didn't know. And then he marries Rebecca, who is very important to, to note, is not a Canaanite. Which Abraham requested, yeah. <laughs> keep saying that. And so we unpacked that uh, when we talked about that, but uh, uh, this is very important. Rebecca comes from the family of Abraham. Mm-hmm. She's the granddaughter of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Mm-hmm. And then there's this insertion that Jacob was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. Yeah. Right, which is older than you would think based on how the narrative has gone. Oh, yeah. I, you'd right? assume he was like a teen. Yeah, it kind of seemed like this as a teen. And then not. No. And so he's 40 years old when he marries Rebecca. Yeah. And uh, like I said, like this episode, 40, <laughs> very important number, very important number in the Bible. And so uh, do you remember uh, when we discussed the number 40? Yeah. Um, during the flood, there's 40 days and 40 nights of right. rain. Right. Yep. And so I believe that was episode 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look how far we've come. Wow. And that was so, before we were elite. <laughs> yeah, we weren't quite elite yet. But Wasn't as now cool. Look at us now. Uh, as we go forward in the story, we're going to see uh, that number over and over again. Yeah. And it represents something, right? Mm-hmm. Numbers are symbolic. Story, symbol, spirit, right? That's how you have to read the Bible. And so uh, these numbers symbolize something. 40 symbolizes something. And so let me just give you some, some examples like we went over in episode 17. In Exodus 34, 28, Moses stays on Mount Sinai with God and fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he receives the 10 commandments. Mm -hmm. The Israelites wander in the promised land for 40 years after the Exodus, and then they receive the promised land. In 1 Kings 19, uh, Elijah fasts for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and then he receives the instruction from God on how to lead the faithful remnant of Israel. In 1 Samuel 17, Goliath taunts Israel for 40 days and then God delivers them through Mm -hmm. David. And then famously, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan while fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. And then he begins his ministry of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Yeah. So you see this pattern, Mm -hmm. 40 days or 40 years and then. And then a reward. And then. And so my hypothesis, which I did not come up with myself, but I think this is the best one. But you call it your hypothesis. This is the best one that I've read and now (laughs) claim as my own, is that 40 seems to represent testing and trial and Mm -hmm. preparation before a new thing comes about. Yeah. So there's fasting, there's temptation, there's wandering, there's floating on an ark. And then afterwards, God moves forward with newness. And so we talked a little bit about this last time because you have to talk about it when you talk about Abraham. But life with God is in some ways a life of testing, Mm. right? This does not mean that God's being tricky or testing you in the sense that he's trying to trick you or get you to fail or to see if you're good enough or faithful enough. The test itself, which is represented by the number 40, is refinement and formation. Mm -hmm. Gold is refined by fire, which is called the testing of the metal. And so are we. Mm -hmm. And so we are refined as images of God by what? By faithfulness, living obediently. Yeah. And that necessarily entails obedience even in the midst of trial and tribulation. Absolutely. Yeah. And so through that testing, refinement, and patient faith, there's new life. Mm -hmm. There's new creation. There's formation. Right? And so Isaac is 40. And you go back to the story. And again, uh, just to, to be overly clear, how would you define the main through line of what makes Abraham faithful? 
Patience. Patience. Yeah. He had to wait for everything. Yeah. Right? God made these huge promises to him. And then he had to wait. He was tested in that way. Mm-hmm. And so he finally has the prun, but then the son does not. Right. And, and so that's quite a thing to 40 is again used to, to, to symbolize this. Mm. And so at 40 years old, he marries Rebecca. And so now they can have a family, right? Mm. Well, what happened when God promised a family to Abraham? What was the problem? Sarah couldn't conceive. She right. was barren. What's it say here about Rebecca? Same thing. She's unable to conceive. Same thing. And so in verse 26, which we haven't read yet, it's going to say that Isaac is 60 years old mm. when Rebecca gives birth. So 20 years of waiting. Yeah. So 40 years to find a wife, yeah. 20 years to have children. Mm. And so Isaac prays and the Lord answers. And just like he delivered on his promise for Abraham, eventually mm. he delivers on this promise as well. And Rebecca is pregnant. Now uh, this, this brings us to the idea of prayer, mm-hmm. right? What is it? What is the point of prayer? What is prayer do? Mm. Uh, we've been talking a lot about how nothing in your faith is a transaction. Right. Yeah. So it's not like, well, I prayed to God for something. He didn't give it to me. So I guess he's not real or I guess he doesn't love me. Yeah. Uh, prayer is a profound act of trust, right? To rely upon God mm-hmm. is to trust him. Mm-hmm. And so God answers prayers or responds to this faith, maybe not within the time frame that we think is appropriate, but he does respond to it. And often he gives us more than we ask for, Yeah. right? But we do have to understand that when you sit down to pray before you go to bed, when you ask God for the things that you want, when you cry out to God for the things that are in your life that you don't want, yeah. this is a profound act of trust. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all, because it's not transactional, sometimes the way that he answers is mysterious, but your trust in God is noted by him. Yeah. And felt by him. And so when we pray, we trust. And so Isaac trusts God, even though it took him 40 years to find a wife and it took him another 20 years to have uh, the promised children. He trusts him. And so he prays Mm -hmm. and God answers. And sometimes God gives us more than we ask for. And so let's do 25, 22 through 24. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? (laughs) So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Yeah, so she's having twins mm-hmm. now, right? So even more than, than you they asked, asked for, for yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so um, quickly, because I like to hyperlink things, I think we said that we've seen twins before, right? Yeah, we said based on the way the story was told, Cain and Abel, there's yeah. a good argument for them being twins. Yeah, it's an argument from grammar. Yeah, because Hebrew grammar. She only like Adam and Eve only like lay with each other once in the narrative, but she gives birth. Yeah, twice. there's something like so it's like like uh, she conceived and had a child, and then, and then it she said she had, had another, another child, child. Yeah, without saying she conceived. Yeah. Which when you look at the rest of the way that it's usually talked about, it is usually. Um, she conceived and then she bore. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so here it just comes out and tells us that they're twins. But if, if Cain and Abel were indeed twins, they're kind of the only other twins that we've seen. Mm -hmm. How did that go? Not well, (laughs) not well at all, actually. Just just, about as bad as it could go, really. Yeah. One of them just becomes the archetype of a sinner. Yeah. By unleashing death on the other. Just kills the other. other Yeah. Uh, And so it kind of maybe ominous. Yeah. 
for how this relationship is going to go. Uh, and I do think that it's kind of funny. She says, why is this happening to me mm-hmm. when the babies are jostling within her? And I have actually known several women who have given birth to twins. And when they found <laughs> out they were pregnant with twins, that's pretty much what they asked. Yeah. That's what they cry <laughs> out to God. Yeah. <laughs> why is this happening why? to me? Um, and so here is God giving more than what was asked for. Yeah. Right. Not just one, but two sons. And so maybe, like we talked about last time, maybe this is the beginning of the line of the seed becoming numerous, like Abraham's brother Nahor mm-hmm. and like Isaac's brother Ishmael. Mm-hmm. He said it was kind of strange that those who were not the carriers of the covenant seemed to be uh, getting part of the promise of the covenant more mm-hmm. than the covenant carriers, mm-hmm. right? And we wondered if that was change. And so twins uh, could be uh, an example of that beginning to happen, which yeah. I think is true because what we'll see is that Jacob eventually has 12 sons. Right? Yeah. So God speaks to Rebecca and says, you are having twins. <laughs> Two nations are in you. One is stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Mm. And so we got to unpack that for a second. Esau, the firstborn is the stronger one. Yeah, we'll see that. See that, right? So one of them will be stronger than the other, uh, but he will be subservient to Jacob, mm-hmm. the secondborn, which we'll also see. Yeah. Right? And so this is pretty much in line with the upside down way that God has acted so far. Yes. And the way yeah. he's going to act in the future, right? Because because what is the kind of cultural norm that keeps happening in the Bible that's so strange? The So the norm is that the eldest son is the heir. Mm. So they get either it, kind of symbolically a double portion, but we said that kind of means like they get a larger portion and they can kind of decide how the inheritance lies. So to them, mm. most of the inheritance goes to. Yeah, and we've already seen God like not do that. Yeah, correct. So uh, the the eldest son receives the inheritance. Yeah. And then he distributes the inheritance. And the cultural norm is that he keeps double for himself and then yeah. distributes the rest to his his siblings in, in some way. Um, and yet God keeps choosing the younger. Yeah. Right? Uh, Abel is younger than Cain. Mm-hmm. And yet God looks upon Abel's sacrifice more favorably. Mm-hmm almost like he chooses Abel over, over Cain. Japheth is the eldest son of Noah. But who does the promise go through? Shem, his secondborn. His secondborn. Ishmael is the firstborn of Abraham. Yeah. But who's the promise go through? Yeah, through Isaac, Isaac. his secondborn. And so we're going to see that happen again and again. We're going to get to David. Yes. Right? Who's the and youngest. He's the youngest and very like the runt of the litter kind of. Yeah, because what, ha- like. what happens when, when the prophet goes to, to anoint the Yeah, he king? says one of your sons is going um, to be king and Jesse brings out all but one because he's like, what's well, definitely not the youngest little <laughs> guy out in the field. It's not even that guy. I didn't bring him in. Yeah, and so we, we see God projecting mm-hmm. that he doesn't operate like this. Yeah. And then in the story of David, it's like, can I please make this obvious to you guys? Yeah, guys. I don't operate like this, yeah. right? Um, and so we see it here, mm-hmm. right? We, the, in, in some ways, this shouldn't be surprising that he says that the younger will serve the older. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, that the older will serve the younger, that the younger son will be superior. And so in terms of nationhood, right? Two nations are inside of you. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll discuss that in more detail as, as we go on, but let's do 25 to 26. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. 
Yeah, so I don't know if you guys if you guys heard that, but producer Jerry, who could not be bothered to join us on our fortieth episode, came in in the middle and made a bunch of noise. And, and so uh, ignored the and then sign left again. The sign on the door. Ignored too. his own sign that he put it's out fine. there. So, anyways, uh, twenty years of waiting. Yeah. But at sixty yeah. years old, Rebecca gives birth to two sons, Esau the eldest and Jacob, the mm-hmm. youngest. And so Esau is not exactly the Hebrew word for hairy, like. He's, he's covered in hair. Yeah. But it sounds like it. Okay. Right. So, yeah. so Hebrew. Like a play on words. Yeah. So, so part of the biblical, the way that the Bible is written is that there's, there's word play. Mm-hmm. The sounds of the words, you know, is, it's not just that it's word for word, but that, that it sounds like it. And so, uh, and so uh, his, his name is basically like the description of being hairy. <laughs> <laughs> and then the nation that comes from Esau, what we'll see is called Edom which comes from the Hebrew word uh, Adom, which is red. Mm, mm-hmm. And so his name and the name of the people that come from him are basically both descriptions of his physical features. So funny how how people are named in the Bible. It's like no. you come out, they're like, well, what's he look like? Let's yeah. name him based off that. There's no like, and I had this name. It's usually like, well, what did he look like? <laughs> oh, he was hairy and he had red hair. Let's call him that. Yeah, let's call him that. And so that so that so so that's Esau. Yeah. Jacob or Yaakov yeah. is a play on uh, the Hebrew word uh, Akev. Because he came out holding Esau's Rath- heel. Akev means heel. Yeah. Right? So the NET Bible, the Net Bible, which is a really great resource mm-hmm. online and it's free, says that the verb form, uh, that, that Yaakov is a play on of the verb form of heel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this probably means to protect from the rear. Mm. or to protect from the heels as in a military action, mm. right? And so, Jackie, your name comes from this. Yeah. And it's often said that Jacob means deceiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is an understanding that only comes about after Jacob kind of lives a life of deception. After he starts becoming the deceiver, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, to grasp the heel sort of becomes an idiom mm. for deceiving, mm-hmm. right? But that's only really because of what, happens in his life. Yeah. Not, it's not etymological, mm, right? So mm-hmm. the etymology of your name me, means heal, mm. right? Which probably has something more to do with like a military act of protection sure. from the rear yeah. uh, than it does about supplanting or deceiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will go on to mean that. And so, you know, I don't want to take it all away from you. You, <laughs> you're, you do, your name does kind of mean <laughs> idiomatically the deceiver. It's okay. Um, and so there you go, Jacob and Esau. Yeah. Right, Isaac and Rebecca now have two sons. That was quick. And so let's see how it goes, mm. 27 through 28. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Okay, so with the pictures of these sons begins to get painted. Esau, mm-hmm. who's hairy and strong, is a man of the open country. Yeah. Or a man of the field. And so he's a skillful hunter. Yeah. Um, do you remember the last hunter that was specifically mentioned and commented on in the Bible? Nimrod. <laughs> Nimrod, yeah. right? And what was significant about Nimrod? What did he do? Mm, he basically founded Babylon, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, so traditionally. Not so good. Tra- yeah. Traditionally, Nimrod in, in like Christian and Jewish literature, Nimrod is the leader of the Tower of Babel Rebellion. Yeah. Um, and so here's another hunter, kind of uh, maybe ominous, right? 
And this is contrasted with Jacob, who is who it says in this translation is content to stay at home among the tents. Now, the Hebrew woodenly is actually more like Jacob was calm or even tempered or peaceful, mm. a peaceful man who lived in tents. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, juxtaposing a wild man who lives out in the field yeah. versus like a peaceful, calm man who lives in, in the tents. Mm-hmm. And so there's a juxtaposition here. Um, and, and I think this is very kind of funny. Isaac, their dad, loves Esau. Why? Because he hunts food for him. <laughs> <laughs> so again, the Hebrew here, when it says that he has a taste for wild game, is actually that, uh, that Isaac loved Esau for he was a hunter for his mouth. <laughs> so exactly, like he likes Esau because Esau brings his, him food. Because his mouth and he likes, likes meat. Yeah. <laughs> and and Esau gets that for him and brings it to so him. It's right? a pretty simple way to decide. Oh, that guy brings me food. I like him. Yeah. Now actually, like, you know, what's what we're gonna see here is is that as the life of Isaac goes on, um, he doesn't have great discernment. No. Right? No, that's a good point. Um, God wants the blessing to go through Jacob. Mm-hmm. And I Isaac wants the blessing to go through Esau. Because he's stronger, older. Yeah, he likes him better, right? Yeah. He hunts for food for him, what, yeah. whatever it is. Like, and, and so that's actually going to become a theme, yeah. right? And so I think it's interesting that they put the reason that he liked him is mm-hmm. kind of for like, you know, what I would kind of say like a surfacey reason. Absolutely. Yeah. A transactional yeah. reason. Which, yeah, I like him because he, he gets me food. And we see that again. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. I mean, there Jesse brings out his sons who he thinks looks like kings you know they're right. they're strong they're big he's like that that's that guy's a king for sure yeah absolutely and right. it's all it's based on superficial things right and what do you, do you yeah. remember what god says um through uh samuel he says that man looks at outward appearance but god looks at the heart there you go yeah and so uh that's that's the way that we are mm-hmm. absolutely and it's all the way, it's, it's all the way foreshadowed even here and so it doesn't say why rebecca loved jacob that's true. And just said that she did. And so I don't know. Like maybe it's because he was around the tent more often, which is where she would have been. she's at, yeah. Maybe it's because they he had more in common with her. Mm. Maybe it's because of his peaceful, mm. calm temperament. But maybe it's because God spoke to her when she was pregnant with twins and she cried out to him. What did God say about Jacob and Esau? They were going to fight with each other in a way, right? And that the, that the older will serve the younger. Yeah. So she received that prophecy, She did right? know that. Yeah, that's Isaac true. did not receive that prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the mother did. And like we saw before uh, um, with Sarah, the mother protects the seed. Yes, yeah. And that's what we're going to see with Rebecca and, 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 uh, um, and Jacob. And so that's kind of being yeah. foreshadowed here. Um, okay, so let's do uh, 25, 29 through 34. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So you're named after Jacob, but around noontime every day, you act like Esau. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is the life That's of so Jackie funny. right here. All right. So let's, uh, this is where we see the differences in personality start to come to head, yeah. right? So Esau has so far been portrayed as strong and wild, like mm-hmm. almost animal-like. Mm-hmm. And Jacob has been portrayed as peaceful and calm, maybe more intellectual. Yeah, definitely. When I like grew up listening to these stories, Jacob was portrayed as like the smart one. And Esau mm-hmm. was kind of like, almost like a like a meathead kind of yeah, like, I'm yeah, strong, exactly. but I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. And and, and that's, that seems to be true here, Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. And so Esau comes in famished from the fields uh-huh. and he asks for some of the red stew that Jacob was cooking. Uh-huh. And so this is where sometimes, you know, sometimes the Hebrew helps us understand things better. And sometimes it's just kind of funny. Uh, it actually says, uh, please let me have a swallow of that red, red stuff. <laughs> so again, this is kind of highlighting what's already been disclosed about him. He's like wild. Yeah. And, 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 and I guess impulsive. Yeah. Right. And so red in Hebrew, like I said, is Adom. Uh-huh. And so Esau, who was red when he was born, asks for the Adom Adom Tse, the red, red stuff. Hmm. And so this is why his people are called the Edomites. Mm, right? Makes sense. And Edom actually is is in the mountains, which are also red. Right. So mm. it's kind of kind of an interesting mm-hmm. way of how that comes about. But give me some of that red, red stuff. And Jacob. Uh, we see his personality come out. He says, yeah, I'll give you some, but you have to sell me your birthright. <laughs> <laughs> so sibling-like. I know my sisters used to do that to me too, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, where it's like, yeah, I'll do something for you. But if you do something way, way over crazier. the top for me, right? Yeah. Uh, and so according to the custom of the time, the inheritance belongs to Esau. Yeah. And so he and Jacob are twins, but Esau was born first. And so what is Jacob asking Esau to swear to give to him? The inheritance, yeah. Yeah, the inheritance. And so any reader with a brain knows that that's a bad deal. Yeah. But remember the picture that's being painted of Esau so far. It sounds like, I mean, Jacob thinks he might as well try, like he's got a shot. Yeah, he probably knows his brother's like wild and out of control and impulsive. He's like, dude, right? for some soup, I'm going to get a birthright? Yeah. Great deal for me. Yeah, exactly. So so Jacob's like, okay, like really? Yeah. You're going to give me your birthright? Okay, well then make an oath. Yeah, because Esau says, sure, I'm going to die, basically. It, he says, "What? Right. I'm about to die from hunger. Do you think he's about to die, really? No. Or do you think he's just being dramatic? No, he's acting like you. When noon, when I do say I'm about around. to die if I don't eat lunch. You say, you say, I do say something, away. really. <laughs> I might pass yeah. away. I need lunch right now. Um, and so Jacob says, well, make an oath with me. Uh-huh. And then Esau does it. Yes. So he, he makes a formalized yeah. oath with Jacob to, to, to give his birthright for a bowl of red, red stuff. It's funny that he calls it that because later in the narrative, Jacob gives him lentil stew. Like we know what it is. Do you think Esau like just doesn't know what? I think he's kind of being portrayed as, as he just, just is like that wild. red stuff. Yeah, there. give me that like, red stuff. He I'm didn't hungry. even know like, yeah. it's not even like, can I have some lentil stew? Yeah, can I have it's some like, of that lentil stew you're making? Oh, what is, what is that? What is that I smell? Is that, is that bay leaves? just like red stuff looks good. <laughs> can you give it to me? Yeah, it's just very like rudimentary. Yeah, totally. Um, and so let's try to mine some meaning from this before we, before yeah. we close. Uh, it is often said that Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? It's been portrayed to me like that. Yeah, for sure. But that is not at all what happens mm-hmm. if you read the story, right? It's not what's said here. And so then sometimes there's a softer version that says that Jacob deceives Esau of his birthright. Mm. But that is also not what happens. Yeah, it's not deception. It's laid out very clearly. It's an insane proposition that right. Esau just takes Because Esau just could have said, no, I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so so what what actually happens here? Uh, it says that, that Esau 
was not deceived out of his birthright. It says that he sold it for a bowl of soup. That he thought so little of it that he would give it away for a bowl of soup. Right. Yeah. And so the last line of the chapter says that he despised his birthright. Yeah. And that word despise means to think of it as meaningless. Mm. Worth less than a bowl of stuff. Yeah. And so uh, Jacob will go on to deceive his father, Isaac. He will deceive. And uh, when, when Isaac wants to bless Esau and it's, it's quite, he goes to quite some levels with his mother, Rebecca yeah. to deceive yeah. Isaac. And so that, that is deception. And so the idea that Jacob kind of has this sort of grasping at the heel, idiomatic mm-hmm. supplanting and deceiving kind of personality that will be portrayed later. Uh, but th- I don't really feel like that's being portrayed here so much. No, he's not deceptive. Now, yeah, I mean, is it a bad deal to offer? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not deceptive. He says, do this and then I'll give you soup. Yeah, he's not really tricking him. Like maybe... Yeah, there's uh, no trick involved. If he knows his brother's kind of like dumb and impulsive, then maybe it's manipulative. Yeah, sure. Right? Uh, but but he did not steal his birthright. Yeah. And he did not deceive him out of his birthright. Yeah, yeah. He received Esau's rightful birthright of inheritance for a bowl of lentil soup. Yeah. Seems like Esau didn't care enough about it in anyways. And so, yeah, right. Um, Esau doesn't take the inheritance seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, based on everything that we're talking, that we've been talking about, what is the inheritance? Not only, yeah, Isaac's wealth, his possessions, but it's to be the promised seed. Right. So the promise is going to go through Isaac and Isaac has two sons. The firstborn's Esau. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't it go through Esau? Seems like he doesn't want it. He doesn't take it seriously. Yeah. Right? So he sells it for a bowl of soup. Yeah. And so uh, a couple clarifications as as we leave today. Uh, There's a very common misconception that comes from Paul's exegesis of this story and uh, more specifically a quotation from the prophet Malachi uh, when Paul's in the book of Romans. Mm. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles in chapters 9 through 11. Mm Mm-hmm. And he quotes Malachi who says, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I've hated. Mm. And uh, Paul's making an analogy of Jews and Gentiles here. And, and I'm going to argue, I'm not going to argue it today, but when we get through the story, I'm going to argue that it does not mean what people tend to think that it means. And there's been a lot of bad preaching and teaching on what it means to say that, that uh, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Mm. Uh, even though it is, is a quotation from the Bible, I think that that means something in context of the story that we're going to see all come together and, yeah. and culminate. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but but what this part of the story does is it paints Esau in somewhat of a negative light. Yeah. You know, it shows him to be strong. Yeah. But like wild and impulsive. And so much so that he thinks of his birthright, which is to be the redemptive seed of God as worthless He's- in, in a manner, in a moment of hunger. He's very much juxtaposed to who we just said goodbye to, which is Abraham, who is patient and long-suffering for a promise. There you go. Here's Esau, who seems to be so impulsive that he has no patience to receive anything that wouldn't be right in front of him in that moment. So Esau gives away everything for a bowl of soup. What if Esau had to wait 40 years for something God promised him? Sounds like he just wouldn't. Maybe he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And this kind of light that he's painted in is going to, you know, as we go on in the Bible, uh, the people that come from him, the Edomites, are going to be painted in this light as well, mm-hmm. especially by the prophets Obadiah and Malachi. And so um, uh, Esau is showing here almost comical impatience, yeah, extreme impatience. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what? I, and I'll, I'll talk about what I what I think the Romans exegesis means. What Paul's doing with with the quotation of Malachi, but God does not hate Esau mm. in the word that we think of mm-hmm. hate. Right. Sure. Uh, now Esau does hate his birthright. He despises it. In the it, sense yeah. that he despises it, thinks of it as worthless. God does not think that Esau is is worthless. But God has to trust the promise carrier. Right? Yeah. So what is Esau displaying here? Yeah, he's proved that he's not trustworthy and that he won't continue in faith. He gives it all away for for mm-hmm. red red stuff. And so the drama of this brotherly relationship will continue to grow. And we will get into all that in the next couple of weeks. And at the conclusion of the story, uh, hopefully when we get there, uh, I'll be able to unpack what I think Paul means when he talks about that. Uh, because um, the the rest of the story of, of Jacob and Esau, it gets worse. Yeah, it's kind of sad. And then it gets better. Yeah. And um, you have to remember that when Paul talks about something, you know, when Paul, a Pharisee, mm-hmm. who's a genius, mm-hmm quotes something in the old Testament. He's not proof texting the way that we tend to quote the Bible, right? God works together for good for those who love him. Mm. So good things are going to happen to me today. Yeah. It's like, that's that Paul doesn't quote the Bible like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Paul, it it used to be said that Pharisees could stack the scrolls on top of each other and stick a needle into the Mm. scrolls and could tell you which Hebrew word the needle goes through on all the different things, right? That is the level of memorization and internalization yeah. and familiarity that Paul has with the scriptures. Like um, uh, he speaks, he speaks the language of what we call the Old Testament. Yeah. Right. And I don't mean Hebrew, which he does speak Hebrew, but I mean like his, yeah, his, what he believes about the world is the story encapsulated that he's internalized mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. So when when he says something like, uh, uh, he quotes Malachi, he's not taking that out of context. In fact, he is saying that, probably thinking that you know the Bible like he does. Yeah. And so he says, uh, he talks about Jacob and Esau, not only in the context of the life of Jacob and Esau, which we haven't gotten to yet, and not only in the context of the life of Israel and Edom, and what the prophets think of them, but in the whole context of redemptive history and how all of that comes together. And so that's why sometimes it is hard to understand Mm -hmm. what Paul's Mm -hmm. talking about, which in one of Peter's letters, he says, our brother Paul, who writes scripture, uh, but sometimes it's really hard to understand what he's saying. (laughs) Peter says about Paul. (laughs) Um, And and that's why, right? Yeah. Because it's like, if you, you know, if you talk to um, a mathematician. Yes, yeah. About, you know, how to do like formulaic multiplication or whatever, like they're going to be able to speak at a level that even people who are educated and through, it's through just, college yeah. math don't, don't understand. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- that's like the stereotype of like it workers. Right. Right. Because no one else at the company actually knows how these devices work. Yeah. And so 
they come over and they try to explain it to you and it's like they're speaking a different language. Yeah. A lot of times, because we're not very familiar with the Bible and Paul was a Pharisee, uh, he's hard to understand because it's like we don't speak the same language. Yeah. Uh, now you can, mm-hmm. right? But you kind of have to go on a journey. Yeah. Sort of like we're, we're trying to, to go on through this podcast where you do start to become familiar with the stories and the context and yeah. the symbols and the spiritual aspect of it and everything. And certainly you can always garner stuff from anything you read from the Bible. But I think it especially comes into play when we hit a passage like this, when it's hard to understand. Our instinct is to say, well, because I don't understand or it doesn't make sense or doesn't seem right to me, must not be true or it must not be right. The more correct assumption is that I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know the background of what's been quoted here. And there's like, you know, there's even like people who are, I would say like generally speaking, smart in the sense of IQ. Mm Mm-hmm that when they start to try to deconstruct the Bible and, and, and the theology that comes from it, like 95% of the time when they say that there's a contradiction, it's not because they're not reading it right. It's not because they don't know the language. It's because they don't know the Bible. Yeah. And so the things that people say are contradictions, if you start to internalize the story, they're not contradictions. Yeah. Um, that happens so often with even smart people like, you know, some of the famous celebrity atheists, you know, mm-hmm. they'll say things. And as somebody who's dedicated, uh, you know, my pictures, it drives me crazy. I'm sure. Yeah. Because it's like, there are good questions and arguments that followers Absolutely. of God should, should use, but, or, and should ask. But the things that tend to become popularized as arguments against the Bible are oftentimes, quite frankly, very stupid. Mm in elementary and all that they betray is the fact that you don't know the scriptures. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, so, um, that was quite, that was quite an aside to get in at the end here, but, (laughs) but it is important because, because we're reading the story that Paul is going to talk about when he talks about how Jews and Gentiles are supposed to live as followers of Christ. Right. So that is perhaps the most emergent question of the new Testament Yeah, is okay. The Messiah is Jewish, so there's Jewish followers, but it's gone to the ends of the earth, and so there's Gentile followers. How do they come together and live? How do we live together? Yeah. And so Paul's talking about Old Testament stories to show what this looks like Mm -hmm. and to to, uh, try to pastor these churches. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, our interpretation of it has to be uh, biblically rich and literate. Absolutely. If we're going to try to understand him. Yeah. Because he's biblically rich and literate, right? Mm -hmm. And so here we go. Uh, uh, Isaac has a wife. Now Isaac has sons. And now the inheritance is actually aimed through the younger son, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, who we will see going forward is going to become the father of Israel. Mm. Right? Because he's going to have 12 sons and those 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes. Yeah. And so um, have you ever heard people say uh, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah. And so we're like in the heart of that. I know. Right? We say that because so like cool. those are the patriarchs. Yeah. You know? And we're actually reading the stories of their lives and what happens in and through them mm-hmm. and what God is doing. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. And so uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, next chapter, it actually kind of goes back to Isaac. Mm-hmm. And this is the most intense look at Isaac that we get. Yes. Yeah. Because then after that, it's back to Jacob and Esau. Yeah. Um, with, with the death of Isaac. But um, yeah, so, so we will continue that next week. You got anything else today? That's all I've got. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week on Story Simple Spirit. 